It's titled, Jesus Has Risen. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks for that, Carolyn. So today, uh, in our world that we live in, one of the things that uh, we love is our technology. It certainly dominates so much of our daily life. I'm sure all of you have a phone on you this morning as an example of that. Now, for all the positives that our technology, social media, all these things give us, it's certain to say that there are some downsides along with it that come along with it. One of the downsides in particular that we see in our world today is what has come to be known as cancel culture. You may be aware of this where big organisations, famous celebrities, or even simple, every ordinary, everyday people can find themselves being cancelled, having uh, products boycotted, or mud virtually thrown at their faces, leaving a person or a people group ostracised, exiled, and left out to dry. 
All because of that one online tweet or comment that they've posted. In this way, our online world often becomes this giant shame machine. An online cesspit of verbal and social abuse that is heaped on as shame is heaped on as someone takes offence at other people's comments. Uh, Such was the case for Justine uh, Sacco's, who back in 2013, uh, she experienced this for herself. Uh, Upon, just before boarding a plane to South Africa, she was heading there to visit some uh, family again. She tweeted something that she would soon deeply regret. Uh, She posted this. She said, going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. Now, she was known by friends as, like, putting out comments like this often, actually, simply just to try and get a reaction from her friends. And she only had 170 Twitter followers at the time, and so she didn't really expect much from this comment, uh, and the response that she got kind of shocked her. Well, upon landing in South Africa 11 hours later, she landed to find herself the number one hit on Twitter and without a job. She had received tens of thousands of angry tweets uh, and her post certainly went far and wide. Workers at the hotel that she'd booked had threatened to go on strike if she showed up and she was told that uh, no one could really guarantee her safety. The event even affected some of her family relationships who had heard about the tweet that she was vis- as she visited them. Now, Justine is just one of a plethora of people and organisations who have felt themselves cancelled, their reputations suddenly ruined by something that's been said. You could even add Will Smith to this list after that infamous slap of Chris Rock, and where it's, it's been reported since that his biggest fear is that he's in the process of being fully cancelled and there's nothing that he can really do about it except sit back, suck up his punishment like a man and try to atone however he can. Now, although I can appreciate how social media does give the opportunity to call out wrongs of others that may otherwise be overlooked, surely it goes far, far beyond this in most or many situations. Uh, Recognising this, English broadcaster Piers Morgan, and journalist, he's uh, hoping to set out to cancel, cancel culture. Good luck with that. But over against this cancel culture that we live in today, when it comes to the gospel and Christ's resurrection, we find that the gospel actually does its own kind of cancelling. But unlike the toxic cancel culture, the gospel's cancelling is entirely positive. Spreading God's goodness rather than polluted verbal darts. It's a cancelling that is magnificent, extraordinary, rather than destructive and downright ugly. And so what you and I have the pleasure of doing this morning is considering, according to Matthew's Gospel, what this positive cancelling is all about and how the resurrection of Jesus sits at the heart of it. 
And so as we dig into our passage this morning, the first thing that we see that is cancelled by the resurrection is fear. Like a glorious sunrise on a cold, dark, gloomy night, after a dark, gloomy night, Christ's resurrection washes away our fears, replacing it with joy. In Matthew's account of the resurrection narrative, what we find first is this epic contrast between the fearful guards who run away and the women disciples who stay and are told not to fear by both the angelic being from heaven and then Jesus himself who appears in their midst and greets them. What a greeting that was. The fear of the guards on one hand is actually entirely understandable. I mean, could you imagine their situation for yourself? I mean, they had boring guard duty to do that night. What was there to do but to nod off and gain some extra shut-eye that night? Only then to be awoken, rocked awake by that great earthquake and the sudden appearance of this shining, beaming, angelic being from heaven. I mean, how could the guards not be scared out of their wits? Everything about this situation called for them to tremble in fear. And such is the case for all who remain lost in this world. Fear is the only logical and appropriate response to have when heaven rocks up at the sinner's doorstep. Indeed, for the sinner, heaven according to the Bible, is now foreign territory, a foreign land where we simply do not belong. Ever since Adam and Eve were kicked out of Eden, humanity have inhabited a spiritual wilderness, a desert, cut off from God's goodness and His grace and presence. And so, what does humanity in our sin do when God rocks up? We run. Recognizing that something of God was in their midst, represented by this, the earthquake and the appearance of this angel, the guards did only what they could do. They fled. They fled. They didn't belong there. God's presence was now hostile. It's an enemy opposed to sinners. And so it is the same for all who remain in their unrepented sin, yet to turn their hearts to God. The Bible declares God to be a holy, a pure, a glorious being who lives in heaven above, who cannot bear sin in his presence. Sin then is like this impenetrable barrier, like a great damn wall that makes it impossible for humanity in our fallen state to enjoy God's fatherly love and his presence. That is impossible unless Christ rose again from the dead. Unlike those guards, the response of the women in our passage tells an entirely different story. Yes, they were still bewildered, Overcome, even fearful by what they witnessed. Yes, they struggled to comprehend what their eyes were telling them were true in front of them. 
But that is not where it ended for them. No, first the angel, and then Jesus himself spoke these marvelous words to them. Do not fear. Why is this so marvelous for them and for us too this morning? Because the resurrection of Christ opened the floodgates of heaven. Jesus' resurrection on that morning was quite literally the dawning of a new age for God's people. The age of God's kingdom. Heaven had crashed into this dark world. The dam had been breached and was now collapsing. Like the women disciples whose fear was being turned into great joy that morning, you and I can have great joy too. Knowing that we no longer have to fear the penalty of sin. As we can think about the guards and the women this morning, the lost and the found. Perhaps it's a bit like having the police rock up at your doorstep, but for entirely different reasons. Upon hearing that knock at the door and looking through your window and seeing the police at your door... Going through your mind at the moment, perhaps it's like, oh no, what have I done? And then those dreadful words come out of the policeman's uh, mouth and they say, you have been charged with a serious offence. You need to come to the police station now for questioning. I'm sure in that moment, you would only be feeling dread. But what if, on the other hand, those same police men or women came to your door and they said this instead? Sir, madam, your wallet containing $1,000 has been handed in to us and we would like to come and return it to you. I mean, that same group of, of authority figures, would they not give you great joy in that moment? And so it is when we consider... The sinner who doesn't repent and the sinner who does. The sinner who doesn't turn to Christ and believe in his resurrection. They only do have fear left when God rocks up at their doorstep. But for believers who turn and consider Christ and the resurrection, they have joy to look forward to. Which camp do you sit in this morning? Are you a believer of Christ? Or do you yet, have you yet turned to Jesus and his resurrection? If you are a believer this morning, the more you look to and understand the resurrection and how it restores you to the glorious holy God in heaven, the more you can't help but be moved to joy. Do you see, do you have this joy this morning for yourself? Have your fears been cancelled this morning? But not only that for us this morning, there's something else that we find from Matthew that is taught to us about what the resurrection cancels. It also cancels failures. This is because by dealing with our sin, not only does the resurrection bring joy and kick out fear, But it also erases our past mistakes and rewrites our history. 
This is good news, especially when Matthew, he doesn't shy away from telling the truth about humanity, about declaring us to be given a big fat F for fail on our scorecards for our life of how we've lived and how we've acted. Upon fleeing away, what do those same guards do? They run back to Jerusalem to their superiors and they collude with the Jewish chief priests and the elders there and spread what is arguably perhaps the greatest lie ever told. The resurrection didn't happen. The disciples came. They stole away Jesus from the tomb. Even though they knew that the resurrection had occurred. They had witnessed the open tomb and the angel, and they were there. At this moment, it is easy for us to point the finger at those guards and Jewish leaders and seek to cancel them, exclaiming, you wicked people. But actually doing so, we can easily overlook the less obvious failures hovering around in the background of the narrative here. Who were they? The disciples themselves. Let's not forget their own failures up until this point. At this point, they had abandoned Jesus, leaving him for dead, having previously promised never to do that. We hear of the loud, outspoken Apostle Peter, who infamously denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed uh, at that time, leaving Peter feeling sorrowful and defeated. In a world today that is willing to cancel others at a whim, where past failures can seem to forever haunt you and drag you down, being deemed as socially unforgivable, the resurrection is good news. Actually, in our sin, we all deserve to be forever cancelled and judged by God for our failures, past, present and future. But if you believe in the resurrection this morning, this will not happen to you. Christ washes away our sin. In Christ, he gives us a clean slate. A bit like a, a painter who does a bad painting and puts it to a side, but then picks up a blank new canvas and begins painting a fresh, beautiful picture, casting aside that old rubbish one that didn't work out so well. So much of our world today does seek to rewrite its own history. Perhaps you could consider China and their own take on the pandemic and Wuhan and how that came to be. Or perhaps the less desire to uh, rewrite history school books. Or perhaps past political leaders who wish to be seen in a better light today. We might have things in our past that make us feel shamed and that we desire to forget. What about you this morning? Are you haunted by some past event or action? Even to this day, past sins committed that weigh you down, that the devil loves to remind you of, or perhaps a hurtful action against you from someone else. If that's you, Jesus says, look to my resurrection, believe in it, 
In me, I offer you new life, a fresh start. Repent of your sins, turn and believe in me, and I'll make you new. Your past, even future mistakes need not weigh you down. On the cross and in my resurrection, they have all been accounted for. I conquered them. I won the victory. To believe in the resurrection means not only to be on the right side of history. It's more than that. It's actually being part of God's plan to rewrite history. To be now declared righteous in God's eyes, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and being spiritually united to your risen Saviour, Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, when God casts his eyes upon you, he doesn't see a sin-stained soul. He sees his beloved Son shining with his glory. Are you held back by past or present sin? Look to Jesus this day who washes them away. As we reflect here on Matthew's uh, last chapter of his gospel, there is one final thing that we learn about what the resurrection cancels this morning. And that is, is that it cancels worldly ambitions. As Jesus spoke to those women, he commanded them and said, Go, meet up with the disciples. Travel to that mountain in Galilee, which I tell you about. Why Galilee? Why did Jesus not simply visit the disciples there in Jerusalem? At least initially. It would seem that Jesus wanted to return where it all began for him and his disciples. Galilee was a place where Jesus grew up. It's where his public preaching ministry began. And it's where he's called his first disciples, those fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Galilee then uh, signified somewhat of a new beginning, or at least a continuation of what had already begun. Now that Jesus had been raised from the dead, his mission would continue. How? Through his disciples, through his apostles. It was there that Jesus would be reconciled with those who had abandoned him. And it was there that Jesus gives them their life's calling. I read the last few verses there from verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When, he, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like those original disciples... The resurrection gives us, too, a new focus, a new direction, a new purpose. Back in 2008, uh, during the financial crisis, uh, the company Starbucks, uh, like many other companies, was hit quite hard at that time. Uh, Because of the widespread downturn, 
the company was forced to almost close a thousand stores and it lost bucket loads of profits. Uh, one of the CEOs at the time, uh, he, he came back as CEO after being away. Uh, his name was Howard Schultz. And upon returning, he emailed this to his, all the workers of the company. He said, the company must shift its focus away from bureaucracy and back to its customers. From that moment onwards, under the steady hand of Schultz, the company reinvented itself and gained a new vision. No longer focused inwardly, it looked outward at its customers and this brought along with it rapid growth. And in a much deeper, in a much broader way, in a more significant way, so it is with God's kingdom. Others under the steady reigning hand of the risen Jesus. Not only did Jesus' resurrection bring great joy and heaven to the heart of the believer, not only does it erase our past sins and rewrite our history, but going forward it gives us new purpose, a new mission. Like those disheartened disciples who were restored to Jesus and commissioned for duty. Our natural response to believing in the resurrection is to also become more heavenly minded in our outlook on life. Earthy ambitions fade away in the background. And what most important comes more sharply into focus as we look to the resurrection. Uh, Jesus' call here to make disciples is that heavenly focus that he gifts to us, that he commands his followers to seek out the lost in this world, that they too might experience the wonder of the risen Jesus. As you consider your own life this morning, what would you say your calling is? Perhaps to be the best mum of your children? Or being the best worker in your company, the best school teacher, to fight poverty, to fight animal rights. All these things are good, they're all fine to do. We should do those things. But the resurrection puts making disciples and sharing the gospel, the good news of the resurrection, front and center for God's people, for the church. A mission that is not simply self focused like our old life before knowing Jesus, and like those guards and Jewish leaders, or any human who existed before or after them. No, this mission that God gives us through the gospel is others-focused, seeking the greatest good that we can have, uh, that someone can have. What is that? A restored, God-glorifying relationship with their Father in heaven. No longer being considered lost and destitute, a spiritual orphan left abandoned. Do you see the joy of this mission for yourself this morning? Knowing that Jesus himself commissions you for that task. Who says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do not fear this task. You have heaven on your side. The gates of hell will not overcome you, for I have conquered the grave. This leaves us with one final question that I want to ask all of us this morning. 
just a few days ago on Good Friday, you were asked what your response was to Christ's death. Whether you believe that Jesus did atone for your sin on the cross. And now I ask you the same question concerning Christ's resurrection. Do you believe it for yourself? All those years ago, those Jewish leaders tried to cancel the truth of the resurrection. And that same battle continues today, with many seeing the resurrection simply as a myth, a foolish tale buried in the chronicles of human history long past. The evidence for us is ample. Matthew's emphasis on women witnesses was unheard of in the first century Roman world, aiding to its validity. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they are reliable sources that ought not simply just to be easily and carelessly brushed aside. Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul as recorded in Acts. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul recounts that Jesus at one time appeared to more than 500 disciples, many of whom were still alive at the time that Paul penned those words and who could personally be questioned and talked to about. But the evidence alone is not enough. Ultimately, Jesus calls you and I to faith, to believe. Maybe you are here this morning and do have your doubts. Maybe even you've actually attended church all your life and yet some doubt remains. Or maybe it's the first time that you walk through those doors and considering Christ and Christianity for yourself today. You can believe all the other things about Jesus, even his other miracles. And yet, if you do not believe in the resurrection, it's not enough. Cancelling fear, failures, worldly ambitions, experiencing heaven through the indwelled Holy Spirit, having your sins erased and being given eternal life, all those things are pinned to Christ's resurrection. Without it, none of those things can come to us. And so... Do you believe? Will you come home to God this day? Believe in Him as your Heavenly Father. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we want to praise you for the resurrection this morning. Thank you that our fears, our failures, and our worldly ambitions are all cancelled as we look to the cross and to your resurrection. Father, thank you so much that you didn't leave us in that spiritual wilderness, behind that damn wall, unable to experience your goodness again. But out of deep love, out of your grace and mercy, you came to this world You sent your Son, who died for us, who rose again, to give us new life to all who would believe in him. Father, will you move us to joy this morning? Will your Holy Spirit do a work in us? 
as we do so often face fears, as we still so often are burdened by our failures, as we are tempted to give in to worldly ambitions. Father, will you do a great work in us this day? Will you turn our hearts to you wholly, fully, completely? May you transform us more into the image of your Son. And Father, if there are those who are amongst us who haven't believed Jesus, will you work in them? Will you open their hearts to your gospel, to the good news of Jesus this morning? Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.